On the 14th of November 2020, CEDA will mark its 30th anniversary, a significant milestone for any organization, and it provides us with an opportunity to reflect on where we've come, where we are now, and most importantly, where we are headed. Now, here to discuss CEDA's journey are three of the people most intimately involved with the organization now and since its inception. With a combined 80 years of experience and 83 and a half years experience, if you include myself at CEDA, we have Dr. Carl Mackey, CBE, CEDA's founder president. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ben. We have Eileen Carroll, QC, CEDA's principal mediator and co-founder. Eileen, welcome. Thank you, Ben. Hello. And last but not least, James South, CEDA's managing director. Welcome to you as well. Thanks, Ben. Now, Eileen, if I could start with you, because it was in the offices of your then law firm that Cedar was first housed. And in the same breath, the organization is, is very similar and very different to how it was 30 years ago. But looking at its origin, why was Cedar founded? Um, for me, the really driving motivation, it was all about the clients. So having spent um, enough, 10 years litigating both um, in London and internationally, I was just struck that there was um, a real kind of lack of strategy, a lack of real engagement. And when I worked in America, I had the experience of mediating really complex disputes in California. And I was just so impressed with how well it worked. And as soon as I'd seen that, I thought, I want this in Europe. So I actually wrote an article in 89, are we ready for ADR in Europe? Um, and I wrote a paper for my law firm, 4th of January 1989, which was kind of a business plan, which was, you can't own this, guys, but I really want you to work with me and help me make this work. Um, so for me, it was never about me being a mediator. It was all about, can't we as a legal profession do something really good for our clients and get our clients a really good process? So that was my motivation, all about the clients and making the legal profession look more um, engaged with clients' needs and much more effective and strategic. And Carl, as someone, else, as someone who was also there at the beginning of CEDA, what was your sort of view on, on why we needed CEDA? Well, I'd, I'd a lot of, done a lot of work with uh, in-house lawyers working for clients um, in business organisations. And I was very aware of the frustration they had about the costs and uncertainty of um, existing litigation systems at the time. So um, I was looking around for you know, innovative ways of doing things. And um, I'd come across that partly because I, at the time I was an independent panel member of ACAS, the UK's statutory industrial relations arbitration and mediation service. So I knew there were alternatives in that sector, but I hadn't really got into the commercial litigation sector sufficiently deeply to uh, understand if it would work. So I began, I was an academic at the time, began researching ADR in the USA, Australia and elsewhere, and realized that you know, innovation was possible, but um, it's hard looking back now, but it's surprising how ignorant people were, lawyers at the time of what mediation was. Most times, either they hadn't heard of it or they confused it with uh, arbitration. So Eileen made early contact with me and um, I became involved as the first CEO of CEDA appointed by the steering committee of largely uh, lawyers at the time uh, in order to drive the organization and, and the change. Uh, but really, I wanted to, to improve the way conflicts were managed and handled because I knew the kind of independent intervention that ACAS brought, for example, um, if, if replicated commercial litigation could really make a difference. Ben, I just wanted to add, I mean, just reflecting on, I, I joined CEDA 10 years later, uh, at the times of 2000, just in the, the upswing of the following the wolf reforms. But that focus of clients and innovation was really clear to me as a, as a young 30 year old at that point coming into the organization. And I think it's still there today. Um, you know, we'll talk about this later, but our client base has broadened out. Um, but as Eileen said, we've always focused on delivering a service for the client. That's what it's about. It's not to create careers for mediators, although that is, has been a, a side effect, um, but it's really to deliver for the clients. And as Carl says, in order to, us to do that in a field which was new, we've always needed to innovate. And we've innovated in mediation as we've broadened things out. We continue to look to to lead thought leadership 
and to innovate. And I, and I, and I think that was as there at the beginning, and, and I think I'm sure it's still there today. Yeah, and I think we'll come back and look at some of the areas and the new frontiers of dispute resolution and, and, and where CEDAR is sort of placed to tackle them. But I just want to go back to um, something you mentioned, Carl, sort of the, the sort of ignorance of the legal community or the lack of understanding or awareness of what mediation was. What was it like in the early days of, of mediation in the UK when you were confronted with rooms and panels of, of um, senior members of the judiciary and the legal community who were, well, in, in the best sense, um, unaware of mediation, but in the worst sense, um, hostile towards it. Eileen, do you have any sort of reflections on that? It was, it was interesting, actually. Well, Carl will have comments here, but my overall feeling when I was, um, I was really pleasantly surprised. When I think of the paper I wrote for my partners, um, I didn't meet a lot of skepticism. And actually, I suppose because I addressed it to lawyers who were non-litigators, I addressed it to the whole firm. And um, we had a big construction practice and they immediately launched on, well, this is really, really interesting. Um, we'd love you. They put on a big seminar for the construction industry. Um, they immediately got behind it. So I was, I suppose I also strategically too avoided to start with the litigators. I went to the non-contentious lawyers thinking that might be a best place to start and go to business. Um, so it was interesting. And I think the, um, the other thing that turned things around really very quickly was we had, um, we trained 50, I think it was 50, Carl will remember the number, I'm sure, but our first training course before launch was um, over 50 individuals. And we didn't, we chose a range of individuals from business, from law, from other disciplines, and not just litigators. But you could see after that first workshop, um, people were transformed. I mean, they were so fascinated. So I think there was an enormous appetite, actually, even coming back to the litigators, and there used to be a joke, you know, that um, basically, you know, um, turkeys don't vote for Christmas. So we really, is this really going to work? But actually, I think underneath all that, I think a lot of lawyers were um, looking for something. They were looking in ways to add value. They did want to be more strategic. Um, yeah, they had to do billable hours. But so I think it was it was there was a lot of um, interest as soon as people started to get it and experience it, either through training or then getting into a mediation. And just before I get your thoughts on that, Carl, I remember, Eileen, I remember you sharing the anecdote with me of a senior member of the judiciary who wrote you a letter saying how impressed he was with a, a talk that you gave on mediation. What was the story behind that? Oh, well, actually, that's quite interesting because that was a that was the City of London Solicitors Group and it was all Magic Circle for, um, people. I think I went to a meeting of six individuals. They were all senior partners at the top firms. So I was the only... Um, I was the youngest person by at least 10, 15 years in the room. I was the only female um, and I was not in the Magic Circle firm. My firm was top 20, um, but they had invited me to come and talk to them. And so we had this interesting session. Um, when I left, I remember thinking they don't think this is going to happen. So I knew they were deeply sceptical. So 20 years later, when I became a QC, I got this wonderful letter from this one of the individuals who by then was a commercial court judge. And he wrote this most stunning um, communication to me, saying that I wouldn't remember him. Of course, I did. Um, and he um, then told me the story of how brave I had been um, in addressing this group and how cynical they had been, almost to the you know, point of being quite impolite. And um, But he now is very, very proud of the fact of the work that I had done and also the other pioneers, how we'd all been brave, brave and courageous. And he thought it was amazing that every single Friday now he made ADR orders. But I was just deeply moved by his humility and his memory. And we had exactly the same memory of that meeting. You know, it was just so funny to look back on it. But from a gender point of view, I think it's interesting too, because he had the courage to step up and you know, congratulate me, acknowledge me, and actually share what I kind of guess was going on in their heads at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, it's amazing to see the sort of the, the work you did early on in changing the hearts and minds that you know has had an impact throughout the years. And Carl, what's yeah. your view on how um, the relationship between mediation and the legal community has evolved over the years? Well, as Salian was saying, there was a lot of skepticism around, and but also lack of awareness. So. CEDA's early pitch was very much just about awareness raising, just explaining how the process could work, giving some examples of it in other jurisdictions, showing how it could be incorporated in contracts, and talking through the, the benefits for clients and, and for lawyers. But I suppose as, 
a little bit Eileen stressed um, how supportive legal audiences were and I think to some extent that's true but I always noted the difference between interest in something fresh from lawyers because this was an emerging business area they had to be aware of and actually changing their practice the, the second limb is much harder make you know helping people to change their practice and think differently by way of action is you know a whole, whole new game uh, and that required more leverage from the courts uh, particularly to try to encourage the legal profession you know to to start referring cases or explaining to clients about ADR in the first place and then adjourning litigation for example to try ADR all of that was to come in the wolf reforms uh, but until the wolf reforms impacted actually the legal profession was you know gave us a sympathetic ear um, but they often went back to their office and just carried on the serial litigation procedures they were used to. Uh, and Eileen's right, those who actually came on a course and did the mediation training or actually experienced the mediation, it was remarkable how quickly they, um, they really got the point about mediation, that it did bring benefits for them and their clients. I'm talking about sort of training people to be mediators. James is a former director of, of training at CEDA. What kind of impact do you think training um, lawyers and indeed senior members of the judiciary to be mediators has, what kind of impact has that had on sort of bringing mediation forward? Well, I, I think as Cal and Eileen have both intimated, it's been, it's absolutely key um, because one of the things that I've experienced in mediation is not, I want to make the point, it's not just lawyers in the UK, but it's, it's lawyers around the world in my experience in the 30 odd different countries I've worked in sort of have the same resistance. So what are the things that change their minds? One thing, as Carl mentioned, is and, and I mentioned, is changes in, in process and rules in, in, the, in the dispute resolution environment, so here litigation. So that's crucial. But also people to understand at a really deep level what we... You can talk about mediation, but until you either train as a mediator or do it, the light bulb doesn't really go on. Um, so to get that light bulb to go on by training as a mediator and doing five days of intensive work and then saying, oh, now I get it. Now I really understand what you're trying to do. This isn't about being friendly or fluffy. This is about commercial hard decision making facilitated by an experienced person. Uh, so the same. So that's important training. So I think it's absolutely key. And a lot of our ambassadors from I know that you know that the early days right through to now are people who have been through the training program and, and continue to support mediation and indeed CEDA. The second point is those that have gone to mediations, um, and that's why Carl and Eileen have such good practices because those that go to mediations as lawyers and advocates then become really convinced of the process and then say, oh, I want to do that again with Eileen, uh, Eileen Carroll, Carl Mackey or whatever mediator, and then the snowball starts. So it's the actual experience, either as training or mediating, that really starts to make a difference, along with uh, the you know the, the the process and rule changes. It's interesting, James, because one of the things I've also experienced from when I've been mediating, and this is particularly less not forgetting the lawyers, but looking at the clients. So some of the extremely um, bright clients from big multinational companies, I've been fascinated by. Um, their interest in the whole process. And then even asking about, you know, training at Seed or about Harvard, about the kind of books, but because they're, they're people who have you know, gone to business school, they're highly sophisticated, highly educated, and yet they've never had this experience before. Um, and after that experience, um, a number of them have stayed friends and actually developed a different relationship with them. And they have seriously been interested in the mediation skill um, and they could see how it would translate into their business life. So that's been really fascinating, actually. So you realise even when you go to business school and you have a fabulous education and you have all this backup of major corporations, you still haven't got the skills that we train in our mediation skills training. And just building on that point, Eileen, I think one of the things that struck me very forcibly that uh, mediation often feels to us who are very immersed in it as common sense. Um, and we forget sometimes the, the kind of people who come to mediation, the senior business clients, the leading lawyers often at, at the mediation process, they're all very sophisticated negotiators already. Um, so there's something remarkable about just bringing in that independent who hasn't got a stake in the dispute, but can help the parties work through a process, maybe help them 
you know, in terms of the language they communicate with, the kind of ideas they have about problem solving on negotiation approaches. It is remarkable how, you know, that's a different angle from normal negotiations and it does make a, a real difference to outcomes. I think there's one thing interesting, Carl, you said there, though, thinking about the, I suppose because I was rereading, I think both of us were recently looking at the work of James Freud, the neutral negotiator, um, who was a very senior partner at Scadden Arps, who's since retired and also a wonderful musician. But he, because he had spent his life as an M&A lawyer, um, he did make that comparison between when you're in deals, trying to transact a deal, you, ne you negotiate in a certain way. But the problem with the adversarial process, it drives everyone off in a different direction. And so that's, I think, where um, the kind of skills of the mediation process and the mediator and empowering people to start negotiating again rather than avoidance. So I think that's what we do. We kind of turbocharge that. So we kind of they forget those skills. Once they're in an adversarial process, the kind of lights have gone off again and, and, they, and they're in a different place. So I think that does make a difference and those skills get forgotten and they just need our help um, to support them in doing the right thing to start thinking about their the skills they have got and getting them to use them. I've seen as we're discussing the mediator, the skill set of the mediator at the moment, before we go on to look at where CEDAR is now, I think it'd be, it'd be good to dive into that a little bit more because at heart, you are all uh, mediators. And in the last 20, 30 years, how have you seen the role of the mediator change and evolve, not, not just in terms of the, the skill sets, but also the types of work that mediators can be involved with? James, would you like yeah, to start? I, 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 interesting, you, you referred to us as mediators, and that's right at heart. I, that's where I started. But I, I think of myself as much broader now, I have to say. I, you know, I, I, there's a, a term that um, Bernie Mayer used in, in one of his books about a conflict engagement specialist. Uh, and that's how really I think about myself now. I, I really tried to move away from the label of mediation as such, because I think there's so much more, just picking up the point that Eileen was making, there's so much more we can do with the skill set of, of, of mediation uh, rather than being confined just to and, and to you know the, the standard mediations. That's always there. But we, we can uh, contribute so much more to the constructive resolution of conflict across society in all different ways if we think ourselves more broadly. So that's sort of been my mind shift in my, my professional uh, career journey. I don't know about Carlin Eileen. Okay. Yeah, I think that is one of the transformations of CEDAR that you know, came just partly through evolution, partly through strategic choice. Uh, we did start by focusing on litigation and lawyers and judges. So for quite a lot of our early career as an organization, that was the primary focus. But we realized as time went on, there's a lot we can do in, for example, in standard business to business relations over projects, procurement, contracts, uh, and we can add a lot of value in those sectors. Also in the public sector or in, in relation to dealing with conflicts on boards of our businesses or public organizations, they often do get into quite sensitive conflicts or, or need support with dialogue. Um, so CEDAR has really um, remarkably evolved and uh, not just be into from commercial litigation into more diverse sectors of litigation, but actually into more diverse sectors of conflict. And that's been really um, well, very rewarding for those of us working through CEDAR. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it is interesting because when we started, there was, I'd say that the first um, work that came into CEDAR that had quite a good international flavor. I think, you know, Carl was doing stuff in Africa. We were bringing, I was bringing work in as a lawyer from, from the States. But I would say over the last 30 years, um, yeah, I've definitely noticed there's a lot more work now, um, pre-litigation, and, and also a lot, enormous amount of international work. So when I look at the work that I've been doing in the last several years, more than 50, 60% may not involve English law at all. Um, and that, that's fascinating. And of course, we'll maybe talk a bit later about virtual, but that's almost become a little bit easier. So we've got parties from all around the world um, who are now um, willing to engage at an early point of their conflict and use the process and use the skills. And I think the thing that CEDA has been extremely good at um, is promulgating, you know, really good procedures and, and our standards have been used, not just people have, you know, come and done our training, but they've also looked at our protocols and our standards and incorporated those. 
So I think it's uh, complexity. A lot more, a lot more governments now um, are, are very confident to use this, um, and so there's a greater, de- a much greater degree of confidence, and to engage us in dealing with um, difficult, complex problems not governed by English law, um, and much earlier in the process. So, so I definitely notice there are scenarios now where there are no external counsel. Obviously, I think it is good if there is um, internal counsel, internal counsel at least, so they can get the, their legal advice. But um, definitely, um, it's been very exciting, actually, to see people come in from all around the world to solve problems um, that didn't emanate out of London, but actually they want to come to us and work with us to um, work through those and get get results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we see that we think we see that trend continued. I mean, if you look at the the, the training work now, uh, training work and consultancy work, it's uh, predominantly. I mean, it's overly fifty percent international, and more uh, more than fifty percent is broader um, than just mediation work. It's engaging in organisations and difficult conversations or conflict management or facilitation. So it's broadened out you know, markedly uh, over the, the last 30 years. I think the other thing actually worth mentioning, because obviously the trend for me anyway, my experience came from North America, and um, for which I feel enormously grateful and learned so much and still do from really good um, American friends and mediators. But because they've got such a, it's a vast country, vast systems, and so we've had, we've had a lot of dialogue around um, maybe lawyers taking over the process and maybe taking some of the real benefits that we have in our facilitated dialogue and our mediations, try to take it out. So the joint session, um, you know, whereas actually what we've tried to do is expand it and create much more flexibility as to way the way you do things. And I touched on virtual a little earlier, but, you know, so we have been willing to be much more flexible and we're still working on that as to how you deliver this. There is not one set way to deliver this. There is a whole range of ways, depending on the issue you're dealing with, in which you can deliver really effective conflict dialogue, mediation, facilitation, chairing, and one size absolutely does not fit all. And then you move into this whole facilitation, evaluation, etc. But we need a much brave, probably as James is right, we need to reframe some of the language and some of the understanding, although the core skills are at the heart of it, but we need to expand those and reframe them in a way that people don't limit their vision of what we can actually achieve. And now sort of taking us back to the Cedar story, um, James, as Managing Director of CEDAR, what are your sort of thoughts on where CEDAR is now? Um, the first point I wanted to make, Ben, is just thinking about ADR organisations and generally, they are incredibly difficult business models to make work. Um, around the world, I have lost count of the number of ADR organisations who operate really on shoestring um, with very little services, trying to get up services and um, you know training services, mediation services, whatever services. Um, so there are very few international ADR organisations, and, and, and CEDAR is clearly one of those, and we have a financial business uh, model uh, with, with stable revenue, which enables us to do our services work and our foundation not-for-profit work. But the other really important thing which makes, I believe, CEDAR unique is of those international ADR organisations, we are the only mediation-focused um, organisation. All the others, most of the others, do predominantly arbitration and tax mediation on the side. We flip that. We do do arbitration and adjudication services, particularly in our consumer work now. But where we came from and what our general focus is, is on the more facilitative processes uh, in terms of engaging in dialogue to resolve conflict. And and I think that's really important because that, that sort of permeates our values, the kind of people who work for us, and you know what we really believe in is important uh, at the end of the day. And Carl, what what are your thoughts on, on where Cedar is now in terms of the offering, the services that it, it provides for its clients? Well, I think it's great to see the diversification. People are actually astonished when you talk through all the different units of Cedar and the kind of projects that our teams get up to. Um, Really, it's quite you know inspiring, and that, as James mentioned, as consumer, there are other kinds of industry schemes. Most recently, platform to business on the internet. Um, we've we've we deal with funerals, with housing, 
with water disputes. Um, and then we have the still the traditional range of commercial litigation, international work. And on the consultancy side, we have you know covered at least 50 countries in terms of helping you know upgrade justice systems to incorporate ADR as well as working with international organizations. So it is really quite a you know, rich coat of many colors in, in looking at CEDAR and, and really that's one of the things I think that still inspires me and makes me proud of you know the way the organization has evolved. But James is, is absolutely right. The kind of values behind that are about you know, the flexibility and the willingness to help with conflict regardless of the kind of process that that um, takes you into. I think kind of interesting, you um, think about your coat of many colours, and I think that uh, Carl, you've always had that vision, and, and, and it's been followed on now with James's leadership about diversity and the different kinds of people. Um, and so, people from a different backgrounds has really been very important to us. So I even you know, I look at our staff now, and I think, gosh, who would have thought we've actually got ex hostage negotiators on the staff, ex HR architects? We've got a really broad range of people. Um, I can't, I've lost track of how many languages um, are spoken in the organisation. So it, I feel very proud about the diversity of our core base at CEDA plus our consultants and of course we've benefited enormously, enormously as individuals because of the kind of outreach we have and the kind of wonderful people we've had the chance to meet um, and, and a lot of my colleagues have done you know, spent a lot of time including James um, circumventing the globe multiple times I think um, and um, so when you think of all those wonderful contacts we have in all these different countries, um, it, it, it's amazing. And of course, they bring their learning and their understanding. I think Carl was speaking day before yesterday um, to colleagues in Africa. I think James told me he was on the phone this morning to Hong Kong. So this is a kind of, this is, this is every day at CEDA that people are connecting with the world. It's wonderful. We haven't yet connected with Mars, but I'm sure it will come. <laughs> Just another point to add, I mean, you know, we're now, when I started in, in 2000, we were, I think, 20 people or just over. We're now, we just had five new staff join us this week to start with the new business banking resolution service, which we're about to, uh, which is about to be launched uh, soon. Um, we're up to 80 odd people. So we're now a size of organization uh, in terms of headcount and obviously our areas of activity. The other thing I wanted to mention was values because um, you know, we've, we've got four values at CEDA, humanity, um, independence, tenacity, and transformation. And I think um, the people at CEDA demonstrate this. And I think I do want to do a bit of a, a shout out now to Carl and Eileen. You know, I've had the pleasure of being able to work with them over the last 20 years. And, and they have always demonstrated those, those, um, those values to, to, to staff. And, uh, you know, Eileen's tenacity with her clients and their mediation is unparalleled for those of you who know her. And Carl has always been on independence. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons CEDA's done so well in terms of being an independent organization. And Carl, when he, uh, when he was chief executive and continues to reinforce how important that is, that we don't become partisan, that we stay above the fray, that we, you know, we just provide our services. And, you know, that, those, are, those are learnings that, and, you know, professionals are coming in into organizations, you know, need to hear and understand. Um, and, and humanity, I mean, I think, you know, Everybody at CEDAR, part of the CEDAR family, be they staff, mediators, trainers, uh, do do to portray a particular approach to people and being a people business. Uh, and that's often remarked on when we're consulting, consulting, training or delivering mediation. So these things are really important to an organisation and, you know, we continue to hope and live, hopefully live and breathe them. I'm just picking up on the humanity point, just from my perspective. I remember about a year ago, we were working with an agency who were helping us with some of our, our marketing activity. And we were talking about how um, diverse Cedar's offering is. And, and from our perspective in marketing, how difficult that can be or, or challenging, interesting it can be to sort of link yeah. it together. But humanity yeah. is sort of like the, the thread that knits it, it all together, where it, in, you know, in the commercial mediation sector, you've got the NHS resolution scheme, which is helping people with clinical negligence claims, some of the most harrowing and, and, and you know, experiences that anyone could go through. And then in consumer, you know, you're helping people in the funeral scheme, you know, where they're dealing with loved ones, with water disputes that can can, can wreck the home. And then in, in, into the skills team, you know, you're, you're helping people tackle really difficult and challenging issues within the workplace, conflict that can bring about stress and angst. So for me, the humanity is kind of the, the, the thread that, that knits all the different parts of parts of CEDA uh, together. Now, 
James talked earlier about innovation and, and, and tackling new challenges, and that's definitely something that's at the forefront of what CEDA does. So if we look at the, the challenges um, and opportunities facing the sort of dispute resolution landscape, what are some of the areas that you see um, as being some of the most important? Well, I suppose we kick off where we are now with COVID. I mean, we've, we've got a global challenge. COVID-19 has presented all of us. Um, and um, that's been, yeah, this time last year, um, none of us would even have considered this was a possibility in our lives. Um, and I think the um, it's been interesting to watch how the world has reacted to that challenge um, and how all the different businesses, you know, innovation in just small businesses, small shops, people just trying to find ways to survive. Uh, and that's been, you have one's been so impressed by looking at it positively, um, how people have adapted and just doing their best in a, a quite remarkable um, situation. I think in terms of the um, our work, I've been deeply proud under James' leadership of how you know quickly there was no there was no moments of panic. It was just how are we going to work? How are we going to kind of move forward? And I suppose we were. There's no doubt. I mean, the the, the internet use of virtual um, technology, which for most of us, definitely for me, um, was not something very high on my list. Uh, it's been incredible um, how we have been able to connect in a totally different way. And I know, Ben, you and I have talked about this, and you've talked to others about it, but I think we've all been a little bit surprised just at how well we can let not let best be the enemy of good, and we have been able to translate what we do um, in mediation. Um, and then more remarkably, the work of the skills team um, has also been, you know, it, it's amazing to think that we have been able to continue and in fact outreach even further um, because of um, the challenges we've all been faced with COVID-19. So I, do, I don't think the world will ever, we'll never reset to where we were. We will be, we now have the opportunity um, to reset in a better way going forward and to take that learning. Um, and obviously at the heart of all of it, humanity, how do we carry that, all these experiences forward, good and bad, and translate it into our professional lives and work as well as our personal lives? And I'm just picking up that point, Eileen. I mean, I think, you know, we all know from dealing with conflict, conflict and crisis can often, um, although they're neg they are viewed negatively, um, they can bring about positive um, outcomes. And that's why we do what we do. Um, yeah. But at, at this level, picking up Eileen's point, I mean, I think what we're seeing is an acceleration of, of trends, which you know, is in some ways exciting. There are lots of opportunities now for us to um, expand our work out into areas perhaps that you would have not thought possible before. So I think Eileen's right, the online virtual world gives us lots of opportunities. We've been doing lots of conflict coaching in the last nine months off the back of mediations. Um, so that's an, that's an example of, of where, you know, virtual can help. But also there's, there's emerging new areas because of evolving society. So Carl, and you might want to talk about this in more detail, Carl, but this whole area of environmental, social and governance, which is not strictly commercial, but it's where business interfaces with these emerging wider social problems. It really is an area where I think our skill set can be can be applied. And I know Carl's been working on that and has had some success in, in getting some momentum recently. Yeah, just picking up from, from James's comment, basically um, a couple of years back when I became president, one of the projects I initiated was a business as human rights steering group and had some very good people you'll come together to try to look at how in the area of human rights, where law was often very uncertain and um, very difficult, particularly for claimants, um, whether CEDA could add any value by introducing mediation as a process to often very legally complex or uncertain cases. And we're beginning to see some impact from that in terms of grievance procedures and companies getting more aware within their ESG you know, social governance responsibilities, they're more open to having dialogue with stakeholder groups, with your know, communities that are objecting to environmental development or whatever, um, to thinking about mediation or a mediation framework of some kind for uh, tackling that kind of very specific combat uh, complex issue. Uh, and so we've seen a growth in interest in that kind of area. And, and now the it's almost like going back to some of the earlier days work in different litigation sectors, trying to persuade people to um, think about using mediation at a much earlier stage 
and with a very positive you know agenda um, and I think that is very possible and one, one other area I'd like to, to ask you you about is um, mediation schemes where organizations or governing bodies sort of set up a scheme for resolving disputes with their members or their customers is, is that something that's um, taken off recently has it been around for a while and what kind of benefits does it hold James if you'd like to start I mean, if you think about our expertise outside of the products and services, but in terms of what what is what are we you know what can we do as experts? One of the areas that we do well is process management and design. And if you think about running schemes on sort of mass in mass mediation services for particular areas, or well, not just mediation services, you know, in the consumer space, it's about the resolution of disputes through through adjudication. What we've amassed over 30 years of a vast experience in process design of how to resolve those types of disputes on a mass basis and an ability to do that. So, you know, we're seeing the, the fruits of our labors, if you like, in now and CEDA, you know, we do all that consumer work is because of those processes that we have in place. You know, the, the work we're about to start with the business banking resolution service, uh, again, is, is because of our experience in the, 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 the setting up and managing and running of our processes to enable the resolution of vast vast amounts of disputes of a particular class. Helping helping large businesses deal with the new platform to business EU regulation, for example. Exactly. Again, that's another example. So, and and there's more opportunities like that out there as as people realise the possibility for resolution uh, using these types of processes. And and I could probably add to that and go back to my earlier theme on human rights. Um, just this year, we launched a scheme with an organization called Bon Sucro, which represents producers uh, through to you know, uh, drinks distributors uh, who use sugarcane. Bon Sucro represents members across the sugarcane industry. Um, and they came to CEDA to set up an independent grievance procedure, where if there are complaints against Bon Sucro members about human rights or environmental damage uh, or any other infringements of Bon Sucro codes, then CEDA will provide, um, first of all, a, an inquiry, but also a mediation stage to try to resolve those complaints early. And if that doesn't work, it goes to a, an adjudication with recommendations to Bonsucro uh, and to the member about improving the way its processes are conducted. So a very, very specific example in one of the, you know, the world's biggest commodity sectors, which is sugarcane uh, development. Now, I can say, I was just thinking about the way we've worked, say, with the rail industry, we've schemes we've done with the rail industry, the way we work with the NHS, um, the way we work, work with HMRC. So if you just look at some of these um, very large institutions um, that have come to work with CEDA for us to train their people, to help them work on setting up their schemes and their processes, um, you know, it is, it is very something, you know, the continual work, but um, there's a real need for a good design process and people will work with us in designing that process to make it work for their industry and to give them confidence that they can deal with the conflict issues that arise. And, and just one, one final area when it comes to challenges, and James, I know you've, you've been very outspoken about this within the, the company and the need to tackle it, and, and it's that issue of diversity and inclusion. So what, what is CEDA doing to tackle this issue? Yeah, Ben, I mean, I think this is uh, something we've been looking at. I mean, I think just in terms of, you know, historically, it's not unsurprising that, you know, mediation started and, and, and it has been mainly focused on uh, white men, to be honest with you, uh, previously. And that's because the decision makers in, in the past have been white men. Um, but that is changing as society's attitude towards diversity is changing. And therefore, uh, our profession needs to change with it. And we need a, a more diverse pool of mediators and professionals providing services to a more diverse pool of clients. So it's incumbent on CEDA as a leader in the field to, to drive that. And we, you know, we, we, need to do, we need to do more. And we've been looking at that as part of our foundation and actually doing um, actual things within the business uh, and the organization to, to address these issues. It'll, it'll take some time but we're absolutely committed to, to diversity and, and driving diversity. And again, Eileen, as a, as a, as a pioneer in terms of uh, women in, in the field, we need to do more uh, in terms of, of gender, uh, uh, ethnicity, et cetera. 
Yeah, no, I think we've we've talked quite a lot about that. And so I think, um, and I, Ben and I had a, a session on this, but I think there is, um, I, I have absolutely no doubt um, from a gender point of view, but also diversity point of view, um, it is all based on perceptions and that there is you know, women, um, there's some excellent women mediators out there, um, as well as there are lots of good, um, you know, men mediators out there. But the field um, has historically, as it has in the legal profession, um, is being skewed towards um, hiring men, basically, of a certain age. Um, and that, that, you know, and that is we're missing out on so much talent and we're missing out on so much diversity. Um, and there's um, all kinds of reasons that still pervade even today. Um, that's a good article. You probably won what by Jenny Russell yesterday in the Times on if you had a female leader um, doing some of the things that some that Boris Johnson or um, Trump are doing, that they wouldn't even they wouldn't get their foot out the door. So you know, it's just incredible that there is a lot more latitude um, to a certain group and. Gender is a bit, is still a big issue and diversity is still a big issue. So we do have to work really very positively um, to ensure that um, the clients basically um, are not losing out on getting some of the best talent that's there. I was, I was just going to add to what Eileen said. I think one of the other big drivers in diversity are, are the clients that many of the companies we deal with, for example, are incredibly conscious now about diversity and the people attending the mediation reflect that. So it looks really bad if the media who's coming in is, is of one particular shape uh, or background compared to your more diverse approach. And actually that, that brings me to another point that one of the, I think, futures for mediation and conflict management is more teamwork. Uh, because we know from hostage negotiators who've worked with CEDAR, they normally uh, you know, have full teams when they're operating in a hostage situation. Whereas the, the commercial civil litigation mediators have got very used to being solo pilots. Um, but if we could persuade the legal profession and others to get used to more team working and the value that brings, then you've also make it easier to bring diversity into those teams. And actually that, that leads into, Carl, I think, I think one of the questions that Ben asked earlier about challenges, I think that is one of the challenges really is that um, a lot of the mediations they talked about mistakes were kind of five hours, six hour mediations. You know, mediation is a very broad field. So I think it's quite um, tough. You look at individual mediators when they're involved in really complex problems and doing 30, 40, 50 hours of intense work with no backup, no co-pilot, just totally flying solo. Um, you know, it's doable, it's been done, but actually it's quite interesting because you're working with groups who have a lot more support and the, and the mediator, he or she is flying solo. Um, and that is, I think, uh, I think we would benefit. If we go back to the early days, there was um, a lot more willingness to actually have co-mediation in certain scenarios. And again, then you bring in the diversity. You obviously have to have people who can trust each other, work well and gain the trust of the parties. But we absolutely, in the first 10 years of CEDA, had very good examples of co-mediation teams working incredibly effectively together. And I think I'd like to see more of that coming back for very good reasons in terms of quality of delivery. I'd love to see a lot more of that. Yeah, and I think if you stop seeing mediation as a one a transactional approach of a one day, and then think about the opportunities around it, and, and I know that uh, both I think both of you, Carl, Eileen, and, and myself, recently have had situations where we've done mediations, and then there's been other support work that we could do for people following that. Yeah, um, and that what didn't involve ourselves; it involved us getting others involved. We were very diverse. We needed people who from an ethnic uh, background, different ethnic background. Obviously, we needed gender balances. Um, so diversity was being built in because we saw it as a, a wider project in the end than just one transactional mediation. So I think that that mindset shift is also important because it will open up the possibilities of more diverse teams. Yeah, I think there's still some very naive thinking out there. Carl and I were talking about this yesterday and Carl might pick this up, but the kind of idea, some of the myths about negotiation, you know, it'll all happen at one minute, minute to midnight, um, you know, it, it, you just need the 12 hours and it can be done. So there's a lot of kind of very kind of raw thinking 
as if every single problem is identical in its content. And that just isn't correct. So to keep applying, and we had lots of it around the Brexit debate, whichever way one was inclined to support Brexit or not support Brexit, I mean, we were just continually, there was a diet of very, very naive thinking out there about how you deal with negotiation. So I don't recall whether you wanted to add anything on that, but I think it has limited um, sometimes the way in which people perceive that we can offer value. Yeah, I was interviewed on Radio 4, actually, about Brexit negotiations. And um, would I make my telephone number available for the negotiators because I was advocating mediation and Brexit? But actually, Brexit was another great example of um, if you just have two negotiation teams, uh, but you don't have a a facilitator in that mix, you really do, you know, you don't get the full value out of all the talent around the table because people feel... They feel resistant to being too open with the other side because they're sensitive about what they might give away. They don't necessarily want to test concessions in case they lead to bigger demands. Whereas if you have a facilitator chairing those talks and negotiations, they're much more able to explore all the nuances of what might be offered, where the other side's already coming from. You know they're willing to look at a particular framework of an offer uh, it just gives you a lot more fluency and dynamic within a negotiation process. And and our, even at the level of our politicians, they're not really appreciating what your third-party intervention can offer. I just wanted to, I was just reflecting on, we're recording this for, uh, um, on, 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 on Friday the 6th, and it looks like Biden is about to, to, to take the, um, the election, we think. Um, but you know, since I started in at CEDA in, in, in the in the 2000s, when when you know there was a very positive mindset, and people seemed to be on the same page, we've we've shifted quite far as a society and become deeply divided, as the recent election shown and the Brexit the Brexit issues showed. Um, so I think it's even our roles and our and our profession and what we've got to bring to society is even more important now and even more relevant than when I started here uh, as a mediator in the UK and. And my profession broadly, uh, as a mediator broadly. Uh, so, you know, I just want to make that point that, you know, we've got so much to offer and what we do is important uh, to society. I'd just like to end the podcast with some personal refre- reflections because Cedar's story is very much a human one, a personal one. So, if I could just ask you briefly, what does Cedar mean to you? And if I could start with you, Eileen. Um, well, it's very deep, actually, it means a great deal. It is obviously the most. Um, thing I'm most proud of in my life, I think, other than, of course, um, having my daughter. But I think it is one of those, you know, and for me, it was about the client. So I um, am so happy. As you know, we're writing our book at the moment. When I look at all the kind of comments, what clients have said about the impact of working with us. um, So I'm really, really, you know, absolutely thrilled about that. And I don't think I ever thought when I started all this that I would then um, be having the kind of career that I've got. I didn't expect to... uh, myself end up as a top mediator um, and also to have really almost 30 years now with Cedar um, because I'd hired Carl and I didn't ever know I was going to end up translating um, and joining him in the business and less did I know that I was going to actually marry him as well. So um, I feel um, it's it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving for me Um, but also I've just had you know the most amazing career and it's still continuing meeting the most incredible people um, with the kind of values that James has talked about, and I'm continuing to learn. So I feel unbelievably grateful um, for having started this journey, for all the things um, I have personally been able to experience. But also, um, I am very, very happy that so many clients um, have actually, I think, benefited from what we all work really hard at. Yeah, well, I would say we echo a lot of what Eileen said. We all got into this in, in terms of having a passion for... Um, helping people get out of conflicts because I think we've all experienced the damage and the destructiveness and the cost of conflict. And so um, CEDA's mission statement now includes the the concept of better conflicts. We know that conflicts are inevitable in lots of different ways and different sectors, but um, everyone can improve how they approach conflicts. And that's really at the, at the heart of CEDA's role. So that's been great. Um, the other thing I'm very proud of is how you know how rich the organisation has become and grown, because uh, James mentioned earlier about many organisations living on a shoestring, 
and and I'm very conscious of you know, particularly the first ten years of Cedar. I became an expert on um, shoestring management. <laughs> um, so it's great actually having you know more scope, more resource. Um, we could be more proactive about conflict than I think we've ever been. Uh, and then the final thing I say is the talent. Just looking at you know James's emergence and growth. You arriving, Ben. Just when I look around the Cedar staff now and the diversity of it and the range of it. It's um, it's something to be really proud of, and and just uh, I get pleasure just attending meetings, whether virtually or particularly in person, of course. And I'm looking forward to that you know happening again. For me, um, Ben, you started this, this podcast by saying we've been 83 years of experience here at Cedar, and there's a reason for that. Um, for me, uh, it's gratitude is the word that comes to my mind, uh, and the, the amazing people I've met. Uh, either as part of the Cedar family or through my work and experiences that I've had, um, you know, I, I, I'm constantly in, in, um, engaged, um, uh, provoked uh, to think uh, and, and, and enjoy my work. So that's the main thing. But more importantly for me, internally, it's made me, it makes me a better person. I've continued to grow and I've learned so much as, a, as an individual and I still have got much, much to learn and more to grow. And, and that personal journey alongside my professional journey is really important to me. And Cedar's given, given me that for the 20 years that I've been there. So I am very grateful for that. Fantastic. And it was just, I'd like to just share briefly my sort of view on view on Cedar and my little brother who is only 21 years old at the moment. One of his friends asked me recently, he said, what do you do? And I had to sort of think about it because I've got one of these job titles that probably didn't exist sort of five, 10 years ago, and it's focused around content. But on a day-to-day basis, I sort of get to the privilege, I get the privilege of picking the brains of some of the most talented, interesting, um, experienced people in the world of conflict resolution, whether it's you three here today or Phil, the hostage and the hostage and crisis negotiator, or Susanna um, on intercultural mediation. So I, it's a real privilege to be to have as my job to pick the brains of such amazing people. And um, this podcast has been really stimulating, really interesting, and I hope the listeners find it so. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, as always. Yeah.